So Jesus is light. Now this handout I gave you, we had started, Jesus was as a creator, and you go Genesis chapter 1 and make the connections through the scripture, John 1 and the verse 3, Colossians 1, 13 through 7. Uh, and then the next step was Jesus' light. And so in Genesis, uh, we see the creation of light. And in the great passage in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13, we see those statements about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and He was the light that came into the world. He's the light that overcomes darkness. And all those great passages in the Gospel of John. We shifted gears really quickly then and uh, brought a message on darkness. Well, for us to fully understand the need of lightness, the purpose of lightness, what light accomplishes, we have to understand, contrast that to darkness. If there's no darkness, I guess we don't need light, huh? Right? So, But there is darkness, and darkness is sin. Let's just review these verses very quickly. Romans 1 and verse 21, for even though they knew God, this is talking about people that knew God, they didn't honor him as God. There are people that know God, they don't honor him or give thanks. But, and this is what happens, you can know God without honoring God. You can know God without giving thanks to God. But when that happens, we become futile in our speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Darkness. The writer of Proverbs says, above all else, you and I, church, we ought to guard our heart, because from it the wellsprings of life flow. So there's just some kind of this this mathematical equation, knowing God, not honoring God, not giving thanks. And the result is two plus two equals four, futility in our speculations and foolish hearts being darkened. Romans 1, uh, Romans 13 and verse 12, the night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside Christian responsibility, a letter to Christians about the responsibilities of a Christian laying aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, I want you to pay attention to that statement, the deeds of darkness. And so our responsibility as Christians, as we live our life, light, darkness, the church has been called, Matthew 5, we're called to be light, that you and I need to examine ourselves. And we need to really take a good look because you know what? I'll tell you something. When you're young, you don't know it. When you get a little older, you begin to know it. When you get old, you know it. And when he makes this statement, the night is almost gone. You could make several applications there. But those of you that are in your 50s and 60s and 70s, you know what he means. The scripture says our life is a vapor. We're here just for a little while. And however you want to apply that statement, you can be sure of this, that as you and I examine our life and the tick-tock, the clock running in our life, probably a pretty good Pretty good day every day. Paul said this is something we could read every day, that passage out of Philippians. Say, you know what? There's probably some deeds of darkness that I need to put aside. Matthew 6, 23. If your eyes bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Hmm. He who has eyes to see, let him see. Examine yourself. How's your vision? If your eyes bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. That's what happened in the garden, isn't it? Eve, Satan, the deceiver, tempted her. Said, did God really say that you shouldn't eat the fruit of this tree? Yeah. Oh, let me deceive you, Eve. And it wasn't hard. 
Now, God just doesn't want you to be like them. And then, what was the sin? She saw with her eyes. She saw. The scripture says the desires of the eyes cannot be fulfilled. So she saw, and seeing it, she desired it, and she took and eat. So the eye, now you and I, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. You and I have a responsibility for what we see and how we see things. We ought to pay more attention to that. John 3, 19 through 20. And this is the judgment that the light has come to the world and men love the darkness rather than the light. Now, remember, we just talked about in 2 Thessalonians, loving, finding pleasure in wickedness. And now men loving the darkness rather than light. Loving the darkness for their deeds. There's what? The deeds of darkness, Romans 13. The, their deeds were evil, John 3. And you know, somebody that loves the darkness, it, deeds are going to be evil. Cannot separate the truth, the, the two, the, the impossible. Uh, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed, should be exposed. And uh, Ephesians 5.11, church, hear this. Preacher, know this. And do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. There was and has been some great times of revival historically throughout the world. Uh, you, can, you can measure those great through the century times of revival. And there is something that is 100% consistent, consistent with those times of revival. And it's when God's preachers we call it hellfire and brimstone. But it's when God's preachers exposed unfruitful deeds. It's just true. I mean, you just go, the very, by the way, the first gospel sermon, day of Pentecost, preacher, Peter, what did he say at the end of that? He said, and by the way, by the way, everything that's happening right now, the Bible said it was going to happen. Look at the prophet Joel. What were they were seeing and witnessing? Then he gave them a history lesson concerning David and scripture right out of the Old Testament. And then he ended the sermon with, you men of Israel, you need to be sure of one thing. This Jesus of Nazareth, you killed him. You killed him. And every great revival from the day of Pentecost to even here today has been when God's men, we know in Proverbs 1 and 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We don't need to be soft-selling, stepping aside, avoiding, ignoring the truth that has to be revealed in each and every one of our lives. Our hearts will never be pierced, and we'll never cry out to God until we understand uh, the truth about our unfruitful deeds. They're dark. John, 1 John 1, 5 and 6. And this is the message. This is the message we've heard from him and announced to you that, that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Really quickly, I have a couple of blanks here. I want to reread John three nineteen, And this is the judgment that the light is coming to the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. So loving darkness will always. Loving darkness prevents us from seeing and loving light. Now, I'll tell you, when you love darkness, and I love darkness, 
We can't even see light. And then loving darkness results in evil deeds. Now, the deeds, I've told you all these statements about the deeds, Galatians 5, 16 through 21, I want you to drop down to about halfway in this verse. Uh, it says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. I talked a little bit about this. So we don't have an excuse. The deeds of the flesh are what? What are they? Now, this is a, this is a letter written to Christians. This is a letter that is written to Christians. Not people that are outside the church, but to Christians. And here they are. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you. And here's this word again. You that those who practice such things shall not enter the kingdom of God. Real quick statement, real quick statement. That word practice, if you go to 1 John and you read how many times that is used, and I want to make sure that the, the, the body of Christ, Christians, that we're, we understand this. I struggle with sin. You struggle with sin. The Bible very clearly, Paul in his testimony says he struggles with sin. He said, I am the chief of all sinners. He said, I have to die to sin daily. Throughout the scripture in the New Testament, there's this great revelation that Christians sin, but we struggle with sin. This word practice is so important because this is where the cancer, the infection uh, that can really, it, it, it has implications. We're going to look at those in just a minute. The implications are you and I, spiritual death. A soul that is in jeopardy. And I believe this with all my heart. Through the generation of 2,000 years, there have been people that have he, he just, they say Jesus, they say Jesus, they talk to you, they call him Lord, and just what he says, depart from me, I don't know you. What a terrible thing to hear. But I want to connect the two. You cannot, and I cannot say that I'm Christian, that he's Lord, if I don't understand, believe, and struggle with the truth. When Jesus says, this is sin, it's sin. He said, if you'll love me, you'll obey my commands. He didn't die on the cross to forgive us of our sins so that we can practice our sins. Practice. Practice becomes the daily routine, the way you live. And when, when a person says they're a Christian and they practice uh, deeds of darkness, sin, they're not Christian. They're not. Not my words. That's the words of Scripture. They are not. They may say Christian, but the Christian will always struggle with sin. So you first and I first need to examine our lives. Are you practicing sin? Or are you struggling with sin? Now you and I will never know unless we've determined and allowed God's word to determine what sin is. You and I don't get to determine that. I don't get to judge other people of their sin, but I also do not get to determine what sin is. It's been determined. God determined it. And I need to look at myself and I need just in line with all these scriptures and say, Aubrey, is that the practice of your life or is it the struggle in your life? Is it the struggle? You'll know it's the struggle is if God's word says it's a sin and you embrace it 
Are you struggling with that? If gossip is just something that you're not even struggling with, if envy, outburst of anger, jealousy, strife. See, you go down that list, you know, use a lot of those things you could just mark off. But what if, what if you're that person, there's always enmity, there's always drama, there's always, that's the practice of your life. You're struggling with it. What if it's an outburst of anger? What if it's gossip, envy, pride, disputes? You find yourself disputing somebody all the time? Decision, faction? You part of a faction inside of a, a place that you work or your church or your family? And you're okay with it. Not only are you okay with it, you'll justify it because people need to be, boy, I got to get them folks right. Really? That's a practice. That's not a struggle. Just a statement there. And he says, uh, and things like this, which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So examine yourself, okay? Now, Backside of this message here. And church, here it is for you. Because as you and I look at that list, I'm going to say, well, I'm not a moral person. I'm not engaged in pornography. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a, you know, whatever you are or are not. Here's the subtle ones that, that, that should alarm you. It should alarm you. It really should. These are the ones that you ought to examine yourself. This is, the, this is when, you want, when you want to try to understand Jesus being light and he came into the world as light to overcome the darkness, then you and I, church, Matthew 5, we're supposed to be the light of the world so that men can see your good deeds and glorify God because of them. Sermon of the Mount. This church, the Zion Church of Curtain, should be known as people. They really, we should be. We should, any, anybody that knows us in Bryan College Station, anybody that knows us in Curtin, Texas, they ought to be able to say, I know those people. That's some good deed doing people and their God is glorified because of it. That's the only way you get to know if you're like. Right here out of the page of scripture. Every church anywhere. They, you should be able to. I'm always thankful when I hear that about a church. Man, those people, wow. You can tell there's something different about them. And I'm always saddened to hear, brother, <laughs> whoo, those people got a history. Something to think about. So there are three areas of loving the darkness that can envelop us, but it's very deceitful. It's not obnoxious, so to speak. It's not. And it's even infectious. It becomes a part of a, a, a professing Christian's lifestyle. I didn't say a Christian. I said professing Christian's lifestyle. Right out of the page of Scripture. So the first one is right out of 2 Timothy 3 and 2. For men will be lovers of self. Number one, loving self. Loving self. Um, and it really reveals itself in many ways. And 
we can get pretty good at that. But I want you to, there's another list. They're called vice list. I just read one out of Galatians. They're in all the New Testament. They're called vice list where the Bible says this is sin. But now in the list, there's what's called an ascending and a descending value system. So sometimes the writer will make a statement like he, I'm going to show you here that here's the problem. And because of this problem, there is something that is ascending going up or something that is descending. It's a value. In other words, here's the worst sin. And because of that terrible sin, that sin begets this sin, begets this sin, begets this sin, begets this. It's just a downhill slope. That's what, this has a, what we call a descending uh, value. There are others where he might say this sin now is the result of this sin and this sin and this sin and this, which is really, it's all about this sin. That's ascending. This is descending. Now, just listen. So he said, when a person is a lover of self, that's the problem. That's right here. We're not, we're not, we're going to go from here. Okay. And we're not going from here to there. We're going, so you have this value. What happens? When you're a lover of self, you become a lover of money. You have to be a lover of self before you become a lover of money. It's fact. You, you say somebody sort of big ego, to people that are lovers, they always love money. Love money. They just do. The truth of Scripture is irrevocable. It's just, <laughs> Scripture's never wrong. And you will never see, you don't even have, say you don't believe in Jesus. Say I don't. You just take the practical truths of Scripture. If you were teaching psychology at any university, you'd see the truth of this. People that love themselves love money. They do. They, they, they're going to love money, and they're boastful. Who are the most obnoxious people you'll ever meet? Now, they might not even have money, but they're a lover of money. They love themselves, they love money, and they, you go both. They're arrogant. They're revilers. You just take somebody that's a lover of self. They're always reviling someone or something. You take somebody that loves themselves, they can't help it. They love that money. They're arrogant. They revile. They're boastful. They're disobedient to parents. Now, this isn't just a child now. This was an application, and Jesus tells a, a parable. Now, he's talking about adult children here. I can prove it right out of the language and make even a connection to peril. They, you know, they, it was a really popular thing or not. It was not it popular, but Jesus even had to address it. You know, there were people that say, they, they look at the law of Leviticus about how a child is supposed to take care of their parents. And they say, well, you know, I would take care of my parents. But I got to, you know, I'm taking care of things over here at the church or in this, you know, because I'm such a spiritual person. He actually told a parable about that. But you take somebody that's a lover of self, they'll even be disobedient to their parents. They're always ungrateful, and they're always unholy. The oxygen that you and I are breathing is his. The soul that we have is his. The money we receive is his. The ability to work by the sweat of our brows is his. 
The intellect that we have so that we could formulate something is here. And so it is a root. And people, the sad part, it should be a tool to honor God. It should be. Jesus says it's going to be harder for a rich man to get into heaven than for a camel through the eye of a needle. Everybody in this sitting this morning, right here this morning, you may not consider yourself wealthy. You may not. I can safely say this. Everybody, you may not think you're rich, but according to the standards that he said, when he made that statement 2,000 years ago, everybody in this room would have been considered wealthy. Everybody in this room would have been considered wealthy. Now I'm serious. And so he said, he said, well, so who can go? He said, well, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. It's okay. It's okay to be wealthy. But we better understand that it's his. It's not mine. It's his. So I have to say that the final one is loving and being self-righteous and self-sufficient. This is the worst one in the church. This is the worst one with professing Christians. It's the most deceitful one. I have in this pulpit many times quoted the Romans 10 passage, the Luke 18 passage. I'm not going to reread them this morning, but if you were to take a pen and you just look 18 and he talk about that Pharisee in the temple and he's praying, he said, I, 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 I thank thee that I'm not like other people. I, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. When we're self-righteous, we'll always see other people. And we won't see ourselves for who we are, but we'll see other people for who we think and believe they are. It's infectious. It's a cancer, and the church has been full of it for 2,000 years. It's because of the love of darkness. You say, well, I don't love darkness. If you can do what this man did, you love darkness. If you can go into the church and the temple and you can think highly of yourselves as it relates to other people, you love darkness. And you're finding desire in wickedness. When you go to Romans 10 and 1 and 3 and he talks about the Jews... And, and, and they have a desire, a passion for God. But you go down to the last sentence there, it says, seeking to establish their own. If you have to figure out a way that you're right, that's what you're doing. And that word seeking is a very interesting word. It, it's the same word that he uses when he said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added to you. From the time we're a little bitty baby, we're seeking something. Usually it's the wrong thing. And then this is the, I'm going to finish here with this Luke 12 passage, self-sufficiency. I think this is the most difficult thing for an American. I really do. I, I just believe that. We have taught ourselves to be self-sufficient. I have seen this in elders' meetings. The same mentality. Let's read it. 
Luke 12, 16 through 21. And Jesus told him a parable saying the land of a certain rich man was very productive. If you have a highlight pen or a pencil, write, just circle the word I, me, my, I, your. So he said, and he began reasoning to himself. He's a rich man. He's a rich man. There's never enough, is there? There's never enough. He's a rich man. Reasoning to himself. By the way, the Pharisee in the temple, he was praying to himself. <laughs> you go back to Luke 18, it says praying thus to himself. We got a lot of people that are praying to ourselves and we're not praying to God. And then down here, uh, he said he's reasoning to himself. All our reasoning ought to be with God. Saying, what shall I do? I, since I have no place to store my crops. <laughs> Self-sufficient, hardworking man, honest, probably a pillar in the community. May have been a city councilman. I don't know. Probably was in all the kind of boards and stuff. Man, we want this guy. This guy knows how to do his business. And he said, this is what I will do. I will bear down my barns. My barns, mine. And build large, these are my barns. This is my stuff. No, it's not. Well, but I have a title to it. It's not yours. But Satan wants you to believe that it is. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods. Even if you personally laid up for many years to come. Man, I got a lot. I'm good. And I'm so responsible. I eat, I'm a vegan. I eat good. I exercise. Even my lifestyle is good. So I know I'm going to live a lot of years. <laughs> wow. So now I can take my, I can eat, drink, and be merry. And he's quoting right out of the book of Solomon's. Had some Bible knowledge. Don't miss the significance of that. Now I can. Hmm, but God. But God said to him, personal pronoun, this night, your, God switched the, God switched the roles on the personal pronoun. Since it's your soul, it's going to be required of you. That would just be the most desperate thing to have God speak to me that way. Don't just you think about that. Your soul? Ah, it's your soul. <laughs> it's yours. So it's going to be required of you. No, Jesus. No, Lord. It's your soul. I can trust you with my soul, your soul, in, in, in your hands. And now, this could have been the name of this sermon. And now, who will own what you have prepared. Church, I want you to hear this. If we understand the light that overcomes the darkness, you need to see this needs to sink into your mind and your heart and your spirit. It's infectious. And it's deceiving. And in the final passage, Matthew 16, 24 through 27, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. Wouldn't you love to have a church full of people that deny themselves? A husband that denies himself? A wife that denies herself? Children that deny himself? A preacher, elders, church members? Deny themselves. Take up his cross. Follow him. If you want to save your life, lose it. If you want to save it, lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father and his angels. And here it is, folks. Deeds. Remember we started with the word deeds? And we'll then recompense him every man according to his deeds. I'm tired of mealy-mouth preaching. I'm tired of mealy-mouth church, whatever it is we do. Because the truth of the matter is, if we love any darkness and we find pleasure in wickedness and we practice evil deeds, even the subtle, maybe those that we're not aware of, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. And there will, in fact, be. Don't, don't, do, don't deceive yourself. There will be a recompense of every man according to his deed. Here's what I want, church. I want my recompense. Hear me. To be because of his deed. His deed. Not mine. His deeds. Not mine. And that's his promise. And that's why he's light. And he came into the world to overcome the darkness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We need you. We so desperately need you. Help us to deny ourselves and to follow you. Help us to live a life where we understand and know that everything that we have and it only exists and we only have it because it comes from you. Help us to be grateful for that, Father. Help us to have eyes that see and ears that hear. Just please, Father, help us. Help us to be your servants. Help us to bring honor to you in this dark and broken world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.